I release you. My beautiful and terrible fear, I release you. You were my beloved and hated twin, but now I don't know you as myself. I release you with all the pain I would know at the death of my children. You are not my blood anymore. I give you back to the soldiers who burned down my home, beheaded my children, raped and sodomized my brothers and sisters. I give you back to those who stole the food from our plates when we were starving. I release you, fear, because you hold these scenes in front of me and I was born with eyes that can never close. I release you, I release you, I release you, I release you. I am not afraid to be angry. I am not afraid to rejoice. I am not afraid to be black. I am not afraid to be white. I am not afraid to be hungry. I am not afraid to be full. I am not afraid to be hated. I am not afraid to be loved. To be loved. To be loved, fear. Oh, you have choked me. But I gave you the leash. You have gutted me. But I gave you the knife. You have devoured me. But I laid myself across the fire. I take myself back, fear. You are not my shadow any longer. I won't hold you in my hands. You can't live in my eyes, my ears, my voice, my belly, or in my heart. My heart. My heart. My heart. But come here, fear. I am alive. And you are so afraid of dying. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn, a podcast about poetry. Each week I read a poem, look at its inner workings, and hopefully show you what makes it tick. This week's poem is I Give You Back by Joy Harjo. Before I begin, I have a suggestion. Try to find a copy of the poem somewhere so that you can read along. You'll find a link to one, if you're having difficulty, below in the description. Joy Harjo is a titan of contemporary poetry, especially in the United States. Her work highlights the difficulties of the human condition in painfully precise ways. Perhaps more importantly, her work is a vessel for the stories and overlooked histories of the native or indigenous American people. Harjo hails from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is a proud member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. Her heritage and culture are a huge influence in her work. In her own words, What then distinguishes indigenous poetry from other world poetry traditions? Much depends on the indigenous language constructs, which find their way into poems written in other languages, as in English here. My own poem, She Had Some Horses, would not have been written without stomp dance, or without having heard Navajo horse songs. So many poetry techniques are available, whether it's utilizing metaphor, syntactic patterning, or some other application of poetic tools. The influence of her culture extends far beyond the structure of her poetry. 
The religious beliefs, mythology and storytelling of countless First Nations permeate her works. As mentioned in the above quote, some of her poetry would not have been possible without that deep knowledge of her own culture. This poem, in particular, seems to mimic or invoke the purpose of healing rituals found in Native American religious beliefs. They are holistic ceremonies that seek to bring balance to every aspect of a person, physical, spiritual, and mental. Indeed, there is an intensely autobiographical tone to this poem. It is one of Harjo's earliest, and it comes in the wake of a very intense period of panic and anxiety. Here she is, discussing it in an interview in 2012. Yes, and sometimes I think in order to, to get to something that we really want or we really love or that something that needs to be realized that we're tested. I mean, I think if you look at any, you know, stories all over the world, they're usually set up as, okay, here's where I start, here is where I want to go, and here are the tests. And they were pretty intense tests, and you either, I failed a lot of them, or you, or you, find, you find a way around, and maybe there is no such thing as failure. Maybe uh, that's what, kind of what I've had to come to. Yes, I mean, there's times when we don't, you know, but we, you know, when we fail, but that's, it's a useful thing. At least I've had to come to that in my life, is to realize that this stuff called failure, or this stuff, uh, this debris of historical trauma, family trauma, you know, stuff that can kill your spirit, uh, is actually raw material to um, make things with and to, you know, build a bridge. You can use those materials to build a bridge over that which would destroy you. Looking at this poem, it's easy to see how it's an attempt at healing. The first section makes it clear. I release you. My beautiful and terrible fear, I release you. You were my beloved and hated twin, but now I don't know you as myself. I release you with all the pain I would know at the death of my children. You are not my blood anymore. There is that immediate sense of relief in the word release. It conjures up imagery of being trapped, of a wild and ferocious animal that has suddenly been freed. The paradox of fear is perfectly encapsulated by the line, you are my beloved and hated twin. Sometimes, fear truly becomes a companion, something we've lived so long with that we can't imagine our lives without it. It comes to be our crutch and our excuse for the things we didn't do. In many senses, it is our beloved. Then there is that wonderful note of separation. I don't know you as myself. However, it is not without pain. Harjo recognizes her role in fostering this fear, how it seemed to come from her. This parting of the ways is something of a grievance for her. She compares it to the loss of a child, and we understand just how much a part of her life this fear has been. There is a gentleness, almost tender quality, to the language in this first section. The listener can be taken aback a little upon hearing it. Returning to the word release, it's almost as if Harjo is the one doing a kindness to her own fear, letting it finally be free of her as much as she's free of it. While this section is a powerful look at the nature of fear, 
the next makes it clear just how ugly it can be. I give you back to the soldiers who burned down my home, beheaded my children, raped and sodomized my brothers and sisters. I give you back to those who stole the food from our plates when we were starving. I release you, fear, because you hold these scenes in front of me, and I was born with eyes that never close. Here, the tragic and bloody history of the First Nations suffering at the hands of British colonizers is illustrated in detail. The events are recounted in excruciating detail that almost hammer the readers with their visceral quality. Past and present fuse together as Harjo is there when whole armies raged through her village. They are her children who are suffering at their hands. They are her brothers and sisters who are being violated by invaders. Some of these events could not have happened in her lifetime, and yet the fear and the trauma it sowed have made it feel like right now for her. The notion of events happening both in the past and the present is an interesting tie to the perception of time held by those of many indigenous tribes in Northern America. The model used by them is far more cyclical than linear. That is to say that events can recur throughout time and have a pattern. There is no definitive ending or beginning to time in that notion. This theory helps us to understand the final lines in the section. You hold these scenes in front of me, and I was born with eyes that can never close. Those eyes that never close are a powerful image and reminder of how trauma can transcend generations. Part of the fear that Harjo has carried with her was passed down by those that came before, those that suffered before. This idea of generational trauma is nothing new for Harjo. In her memoir, Crazy Brave, she wrote, we were all skins, traveling together in an age of metamorphosis, facing the same traumas from colonization and dehumanization. We were direct evidence of the struggle of our ancestors. That struggle is on full display here, and seemingly in response to it, the next section takes on the form of a mantra or chant of defiance. I release you. I release you. I release you, I release you. I am not afraid to be angry. I am not afraid to rejoice. I am not afraid to be black. I am not afraid to be white. I am not afraid to be hungry. I am not afraid to be full. I am not afraid to be hated. I am not afraid to be loved. To be loved, to be loved, fear. Here. Repetition and refrain take over. Words and phrases are repeated, including the opening words of the poem, I release you. That cyclical quality that we mentioned before is reinforced by the repetition. There is a ritual quality to all of this. With the release of fear comes an embracing of the rest of her identity. Harjo is carving out her identity, embracing the many things she once feared. She will not suppress her anger any longer, or temper her joys. She will not hide from her innocence, her white, or her darkness, her black. No longer will she fear the famine of her ancestors, nor feel guilt at the prosperity she has on occasion. 
most importantly, she rejects any worry of being hated or loved. The most important term of the section is repeated. To be loved, to be loved, to be loved. It's made clear to the reader that this release has been accomplished by choosing to love herself and those around her. The nature of her relationship with fear is examined again for the final section. This time, however, it is a violent inversion of the way it was initially written about. Oh, you have choked me, but I gave you the leash. You have gutted me, but I gave you the knife. You have devoured me, but I laid myself across the fire. I take myself back, fear. You are not my shadow any longer. I won't hold you in my hands. You can't live in my eyes, my ears, my voice, my belly, or in my heart, my heart, my heart, my heart. But come here, fear. I am alive. And you are so afraid of dying. The visceral primal imagery hinted at in the opening lines of the poem are revealed full force here. The fear of which she speaks is an animal, bestial in every sense. Words like gutted and devoured make its savagery clear. In her memoir, Harjo gives it a name, writing about it as the monster. I heard a congested snuffling, breathing. The monster rose up before me. I saw him for the first time. The horror transfixed me. I had no room in my mind for such a being. In this poem, however, she wrestles with it and conquers it. She does this by recognizing her own compliance with the fear. She is the one that gave it the tools to do its job. But that time is done. She states, I take myself back, fear. It's interesting to note that she uses fear as a name constantly throughout the poem. There is nothing unusual in personifying an emotion in poetry. However, each time she names it, she chooses not to capitalize it. This minimizes its presence and so power in the poem. At the beginning, she talks of this fear as though it were a child or dear companion. But now, she refuses to take care of it any longer. She will give it nowhere to dwell. Not in how she sees the world through her eyes, how she listens to others through her ears, how she feels things in her belly. Most importantly, it will no longer own her heart. This is marked once more by the repetition and ritual quality we heard earlier in the poem. The final lines of the poem show just how much the situation has been inverted. Harjo takes pity on her monster, recognizing that her transformation has left it with so little to feed on. But come here, fear. I am alive, and you are so afraid of dying. There is a powerful recognition that fear is not the all-powerful monster we think it to be. Here, it seems truly pathetic and plagued by itself in a paradoxical way. In these lines, 
Harjo tells the fear not to run and hide as she did. Here, in beckoning the fear to come closer, there is a further recognition that her own life will never be completely devoid of it. But that does not mean that she needs to give it control over her ever again. So why this poem? Joy Harjo is a rare poet whose directness and use of language seems to connect with readers immediately. There is an instant relatability to the crippling fear that Harjo presents here. It is a universal struggle, and somehow she has created a universal response to it. Some of you may have noticed that this episode relied a little more on the author's own words for sources and understanding. It was the only thing that felt appropriate, as there is a real personal truth to most of her work. I often worry that I err too much into the realm of the analytical in this podcast, but Joy Harjo is the perfect remedy for that habit. In many ways, her work is poetry in its purest form. She has always spoken candidly about the transformative power of it and its ability to heal. She once wrote that it was the spirit of poetry who reached out and found me as I stood there at the doorway between panic and love. For me, that's exactly what this poem does. It reaches out and finds the people who need it most. What's your reading of the poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation, and as such, very much up for debate. I was very aware while writing this episode that much of the culture spoken about is something that I don't have much of a frame of reference for. I have done my best to research it fully and use the correct language when referring to the First Nations. If there's anything you think I could improve on for the next time I do something like this, please get in touch with me. There's lots of ways you can do it. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. You can find my website, www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com, where you'll find the show notes for this episode, complete with references to all the sources used. If none of that suits you, I'm on Instagram. Just search Words That Burn Podcast. There you can find helpful study guides and bonus content. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this week's episode is by Scott Buckley and is used under Creative Commons license. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving me a review on whatever platform you listen on. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me, and hopefully you'll hear from me again soon.